We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Home and home. Does Andy Reid need to win a Super Bowl to be a Hall of Fame head coach? That's the poll at RDC. Home and home. Please vote. We'd like to get those results. No is the answer right now. Come on, folks. Way it the other way. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker's back home from Miami. He's in Pennsylvania. And we are thrilled to welcome in a two-time Super Bowl champ, the Super Bowl 40 MVP, Heinz Ward, the all-time Steelers leading receiver in yards, catches, and touchdown receptions. Now an offensive assistant coach with the New York J-E-T-S. Hines, always great to have you. You and I worked mm-hmm. together at NBC, as did Ross Tucker. You and I worked together at CNN. Tell us, how are you enjoying coaching, my friend? <laughs> coach is not bad. You know, uh, the hours, of course, is a, is a huge adjustment. But uh, if you love football, man, it's, it's kind of where my heart has, has always been. It was a something that I've always wanted. I was intrigued with coaching because while I was playing, I was basically almost uh, the veteran guy on the team. So I felt like I was coaching while I was playing. So it's just something that just felt natural. Um, And the Jets um, having, you know, uh, getting an opportunity up here, man, is a blessing in itself. And uh, Coach Adam Gase, he wanted to keep me on for the season and uh, it's downhill from there. So I've learned a lot, um, kind of being mentored by Sean, Coach John, Sean Jefferson, who I played against uh, in the league, and uh, he's been phenomenal. Just basically, you know, uh, letting me add my two cents in, and and guys have responded well. So I'm extremely blessed and and, and thankful of the opportunity to be here with the Jets. When did you think like this might be something that you wanted to do? I know we were doing the broadcasting stuff together. You switched over to coaching, which I'm guessing is a lot more hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hours aren't bad. I mean, Russ, especially if you love football. You know, I, I love everything about football. It's something we've done for a very long time since we were little kids. But now having the opportunity to kind of spread the word, spread my message to, to, to the players. You know, uh, I guess that's the gratification that you get out of coaching is being able to – give a player a nugget that he can go out there and have success with. And then he goes out there and execute uh, the little tidbit that you told him. And, uh, you know, that's gratifying for me. So I just felt like me personally, I want some of these players to experience everything that I got out of football. So uh, I wanted to try it out uh, while the opportunity uh, presented itself. And uh, it was down here, uh, downhill from there. I loved everything about being in the media. So now I'm on the flip side of things. So, <laughs> you know, now I'm getting more of the, the details uh, of play calling and things like that. But, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, you know, we had to overcome adversity this year, starting the season off at 1-7. and seven. And you guys know, I mean, um, in this media market here in New York, and, you know, that thing could have went downhill fast. But, 
uh, praise the guys for kind of, you know, just keeping their head down and, and just grinding. And that's what we did each and every day. It really, you know, weren't listening to the outside noise, uh, sort of say. We just kept going out and, and getting better each day at practice. And uh, to turn this thing around and finish the last half of the season six and two, uh, that's something that we can build off of. Yeah, one and seven to six and two, an impressive turnaround for Coach Gase and the entire New York Jets staff and the players. Talking to Heinz Ward, two-time Super Bowl MVP, uh, one-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time champ. Uh, thrilled to see you in coaching, Heinz. Interesting, a lot of discussion about coaching today, and that is, of course, because your former team, it has to do with the Rooney Rule and the lack of success we've seen hiring minority coaches, in particular coordinators and head coaches. And yesterday, the commissioner said it's clear we need to change and do something different. No reason to expect that we're going to have a different outcome next year without some kinds of changes. What does the NFL need to do to get more minority coaches all throughout the ranks and certainly at the head coach spot? Well, I think the Rooney Rule kind of gives guys an opportunity just to put themselves in front of owners so owners get to know kind of who the minority uh, coaches are uh, that are in, it, in the league. Uh, it's disappointing sometimes where, you know, you see guys, uh, you look at their resume and, and how many years and what they've done in this world and, and still aren't given those opportunities. But the only way to solve those things, uh, things like that is through dialogue. You know, continuing to put it out there, continuing to talk, uh, continuing to have interviews, so more minority coordinators can 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 be in front of owners and things like that. And all it takes is just one. So, um, you know, I'm not discouraged about it um, because I think eventually you will see more minorities kind of uh, getting opportunities and, and and filling those roles and uh, head coaching roles. But uh, overall, I mean, it's great that, that, that we are having dialogue about it because that's the only way I think you get people talking and it really puts it shines a light on the situation. So um, thankful we had a great owner and the Rooney Rule gave Mike Tomlin an opportunity. So uh, it can be done. Uh, it's just a matter of just, you know, timing. Timing is everything. You know, Hines, it's interesting. This is sort of my my take on it, and I wanted to get your opinion. Is I think it goes all the way back to there not being as many African American quarterbacks, you know, even in the '80s and '90s as there are now. And so then, when you look at some, and that's college and NFL, and then you look at who gets hired, it seems like it's all offensive coordinators who before that they were quarterback coaches and there just aren't that many African-American quarterback coaches. I feel like all these owners want to hire the Kyle Shanahan or the McVay or the, you know, the young play caller quarterback guru guy. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Byron Leftwich and I mean, a guy who's played the quarterback position, uh, you know, he's played at a high level. So it was great to see Bruce Arians giving him an opportunity uh, Eric Benemy, I don't know what more he has to do to prove himself as worthy of, of, of kind of, you know, getting an opportunity to be a head coach one day. You know, people always say uh, he doesn't call the play or whatever, but there's been a lot of coordinators that may not call the plays that, that get the head coaching position. So uh, it's just a matter of just, yes, you're right. You know, uh, there aren't that many 
uh, African-American uh, quarterbacks in the league. Uh, but, you know, we, we do have them. It's not to sit there and say that the only way to become a head coach is you have to be a coordinator. I think that's been proven this year with the hiring of some of the head coaches around the league. But um, I, I love it that we're even talking about it because, you know, having that dialogue, we only open up doors and create those opportunities. And I think, you know, we'll soon come in the future. And, and, and to piggyback off of that, Hines, I feel like as a result, I think they should extend the Rooney rule to coordinators and to position coaches because so many guys just hire people that they know or whatever. And I, I like the, the idea that if you have to interview at least a minority for every position, even if you ultimately don't hire them or you hire somebody you know or whatever, you can say, you know what, I didn't hire him to be my coordinator, but damn, Heinz Ward was impressive. Like, he's going to be a coordinator. He's going to be it soon. He's ready. I just think that that would really help uh, get more minorities hired at quarterback coach at the coordinator positions. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, there's a, plenty of qualified guys that can, you know, have – uh, great potential to be leaders and be become head coaches. You just don't have to be uh, a coordinator to be a head coach. You know, all you, all minorities and all coaches, I think, really, they all they ask for is an opportunity. So, you know, being interviewed in any position uh, will be wonderful for minorities just to go out there and prove their worth. And you know, all minorities really ask for is an opportunity, you know, and, and, and just let them go out there and prove themselves. And there's so many minority uh, uh, position coaches, coordinators through the league that, you know, if given that opportunity, who knows, you know, maybe an owner take a chance on them uh, because there's plenty of Mike Tomlins uh, out there in the league. And, and it's just a matter of yep. just giving that person an opportunity to showcase what he can do. Good to hear the commissioner acknowledge change is needed. I think Ross is spot on. They will extend it to all the positional coaches. Talking to Heinz Ward, Super Bowl 40 MVP, caught five catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown in that amazing win over Seattle. A touchdown catch from Antoine Randall. But Heinz, you have a Super Bowl experience that you clearly didn't feel into the game in that first quarter. And you've talked about this. Maybe it was the night of sleep. Maybe it was not knowing how this week was going to play out. But what types of things might catch a Tyreek Hill or a Debo Samuel off guard based on the experience you had? What do you remember? <laughs> well, there's nothing. There's no bigger stage than the Super Bowl. I mean, if it's your first time ever playing in the Super Bowl, the nerves are, uh, are unreal. <laughs> you know, you, you can't, you get sleepless the night before. You're just thinking about all the times, you know, uh, growing up as a kid and dreaming about the opportunity of playing in the Super Bowl. Now you're just uh, a night before the Super Bowl, you get an opportunity to play in it. So your nerves are just kind of all over the place. And then waking up and, and driving to the stadium, you know, the pageantry, uh, uh, of the Super Bowl. You know, you see the celebs on the sidelines. You see all the, the glitz and glamours and, and of what the Super Bowl is all about. Uh, I remember playing in my first one in, in Detroit, and, and I was out there, and I saw celebs on the sidelines saying, come on, Hines, let's go. 
and I'm out there trying to put my Odell Beckham on, trying to show out in front of the, the celebs out on the field during pregame, and I wore myself out. <laughs> I was physically tired when I came off the pregame warm-ups, and the nerves got the best of me. I actually went into the bathroom and had to uh, throw up a little bit. <laughs> I've never thrown up ever a day in my life. And so that just comes with the uh, the Super Bowl and what it, what the Super Bowl means. So a lot of guys, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, explain. You, you know, all the leaders can say, hey, it's going to be good. It's going to be this and that. But until you get out there and experience it for yourself, it's unreal. And so some of the guys who've never played in the Super Bowl, you know, they're going to have to deal with that. And then, you know, when the kickoff begins, you see all the flashing lights. And, and, and now it's just getting back to playing football. But then, you know, as a player, you want to impact the game so much. So you try so hard that you end up messing up. And I can recall, you know, uh, in Super Bowl Forty, I make a catch 10 out of 10 times. And it was something, a routine catch, and I end up dropping the touchdown, which I just thought that's the touchdown that's going to make us lose the game. If I if I make that catch, you know, we win the game. But luckily for me, I had another opportunity uh, to to help our team win. But all I can recall from that Super Bowl is this easy pass that I dropped in the corner of the end zone. You know, everybody's patting me on the back. And uh, I was being named Super Bowl MVP and, and winning the Super Bowl for the first time. Uh, but all I could think about is that one play, and that's that the, the nerves of playing in the Super Bowl got the best of me. That's amazing, Hines. I never heard that story before. I did hear the story about you not having an ACL, but for our, <laughs> our viewers and listeners, I still don't get that. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get, get it get either. That you were so good without an ACL, and like if a guy tears his ACL, they have to have surgery. Why don't they just? Everybody talks about Ronnie Locke cutting his pinky off. When these guys tear an ACL, why don't they just keep playing like Heinz Ward did? Hey, I'm a freak of nature, man. And I tell, you know, I do a lot of speaking uh, engagements around the high schools, and uh, I can't explain uh, how God uh, has really blessed me. I mean, I built this raggedy ramp uh, in fourth grade and, you know, had a center block with a little four-by-four piece of wood, and halfway in the air this ramp explodes and the bike goes one way and my body goes the next and next thing you know I fractured my kneecap and the doctors missed that I tore my ACL at the same time so six weeks later after the cast uh, they cut the cast off I'm back to playing sports and I played football basketball baseball AAU baseball and all through high school and in college I go to the University of Georgia play four years after I graduate uh, and go to the combines uh, they put me on the table and they tug on my knee and they was like, hell, son, you don't have an ACL. I was like, well, good. I can't tear it. And they was like, no, that's not good. So I got list, listed as a high uh, draft pick, a high-risk draft pick because I didn't have an ACL. So my draft stock kind of slipped a little bit because I was out here running around with nothing in my knee. <laughs> no stability. <laughs> no stability. Talking to two times <laughs> Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl 40 MVP, Heinz Ward. One of the fascinating things about this particular Super Bowl on Sunday is the two receiving cores. Now you look at Kansas City with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and and Sammy Watkins. Underrated is that San Francisco group with Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, and of course, George Kittle. So who has the best unit on that field? Michael Irvin was asked about that. Here's who he says might have the better receiving core. We were talking about the wide receivers in this game, and 
obviously people look at Kansas City and what, what they have at that grouping, but over on the 49ers side, do you feel like they're getting downplayed a little bit? What do you make of the wide receiver core that Jimmy Garoppolo's got coming up on Sunday? And, and they are getting downplayed, and, and, and rightfully so if you're doing a comparative analysis to what uh, Kansas City has at the wide receiver position. But, but, but since they got Emmanuel Sanders in San Francisco in week eight, you look at Garoppolo's numbers, Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers since week eight and how they've taken off. And it's not just affected the quarterback position. Look at Adebo Samuel has taken off since week eight because they have a young guy there and Debo Samuel and all those young guys, and then they put a veteran in and taught these young guys now or teaching these young guys now how to prepare and how to play at this level. And that combination is creating a great, great combination for them at the wide receiver position. So Michael Irvin on the best receiving core in the Super Bowl. Hines Ward with us. Hines, who do you think has the best receiving core in this game and who will be a bigger factor on Sunday? Um, I don't, I'm going to probably have to go with the Kansas City Chiefs just because of the opportunities, you know. I just think uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to get back there, sling it 30, 40 times a game, and, and they can score real fast. You know, everybody's comparing them to the Golden State Warriors, so it doesn't take Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins long uh, to make an impact on the game. All they need is one or two catches, and they can change the game completely. But uh, you know, Manuel Sanders, I had him in Pittsburgh when he was a rookie, along with Antonio Brown and Mike Wallace. And, you know, he's proven uh, he's, he can play on the big stage, playing with Peyton Manning out at Denver and, and playing, having some playoff experience in Pittsburgh. So uh, I don't think the stage would be too big for him. So I look for him to kind of take over that leadership role uh, to the other guys. And I just think for San Francisco, their offense, the key for them is, is running the ball and keeping uh, Patrick Mahomes and that high-octane offense off the field. And that's kind of their game plan. So, uh, But I still just have to go with the, the Chiefs just because of the opportunities that they're going to get over the opportunities San Francisco receivers are going to get. Don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that a Chiefs win prediction from Heinz Ward? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I mean, I, I just think for Andy Reid, I mean, I've, I I know him personally and, and all the great things that, uh, you know, the knowledge that he's given me, the advice over the years, you know, he's just an all-around good dude. And I think all the players who play for Andy Reid kind of are cheering for him to, to get that first Super Bowl win. So I'm going to go with, uh, with Andy Reid and the Chiefs in this one. We're discussing this morning, does Andy Reid need – a Super Bowl win to get in the Hall of Fame. I want to ask you quickly before we go about the Hall of Fame finalists this year, three safeties, four really, but I'm splitting hairs between three. Troy Polamalu, who you know very, very well, Steve Atwater and John Lynch. Pick two of that group and then the wide receivers. <laughs> Reggie That's Wayne. Tough. <laughs> and then there's then there's the safeties. I want to put you on the spot here too. Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. Pick one of that group. You know what? I, of course, I'm going to be a little biased and go with Troy. I mean, Troy is a difference maker, man. I played years there in Pittsburgh and had an opportunity to go against him each and every day at practice. Man, he's just a game changer. I mean, but, oh, you can't go wrong with any of those guys. But uh, uh, yeah, Lynch, of course, he's knocked me out a couple of times. So we had some good battles down at Tampa and, and in Denver. Uh, Atwater, um, grew up watching him, man, it, it, you know, 
a lot of receivers feared him crossing the middle. I can tell you that. Uh, but all those guys are proven. I mean, they're all Hall of Famers. It's just a matter of time when they get in. But I'm going to have to go with Troy and, and Lynch because I played against Lynch. So those are my two safeties. As far as wide receivers, it's kind of hard. I mean, what Torrey Holden eyes that Bruce did in, in, in St. Louis, I mean, the greatest show on turf. Um, they were with the Rams. Um, they represent what the Rams receivers are all about, just playmaking abilities left and right. Um, great technician, route runners, great hands, can can catch. Um, you know, I grew up watching those guys and playing against those guys. Man, just phenomenal athletes. And, and Reggie Wayne, I mean, he's the counterpart to so many great years uh, with the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, just watching those two guys. So uh, it's hard to really go with one. Um, so I'm going to go with the, the older of the group. I'm going to go with Isaac Bruce. I know he's been – uh, that final finalist uh, list for a while now, so uh, I'd be glad to see him get in. He's he's been waiting a long time. Does Andy Reid, the legendary coach of the Chiefs, 15 years removed from his first Super Bowl experience with those Philadelphia Eagles, when of course they lost the New England Patriots, does Andy Reid need a Super Bowl win? to get into the Hall of Fame. We'll hear from a couple Hall of Famers on that question shortly. Rod Woodson and the bus, Jerome Bettis. But first, Ross Tucker, I got a feeling where you are leaning on this. That's our poll question at RDC, home and home. Does Big Red need a win to get in the hall? Absolutely not. That is ridiculous. Look, I understand that the goal is to win a Super Bowl. I, I get it. Like, that's what everybody's trying to do. But as you know, Dave, we've talked about this before. I am more impressed by any coach that's able to win at a consistent level at multiple stops or with multiple quarterbacks as opposed to someone that just has success with one quarterback or one place. I'm not taking anything away from Belichick. He's amazing. But even look at the two coaches that just got in, right? Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher. Jimmy Johnson won two Super Bowls. Very impressive. It was back-to-back years with the same group of guys. Bill Cowher went to two Super Bowls, won one, both times with the Steelers. Although, in fairness to him, it was two different groups. Mid-90s, mid-2000s. I don't know if there's any guy that was on both of those teams. But the coaches, I think, are crazy impressive, Dave. Marty Schottenheimer getting 12, 13, 14 wins with the Browns, Chiefs, Redskins when I was there. Unbelievable comeback season. Chargers. Dan Reeves, your guy, Dave. Three Super Bowls with the Broncos. A Super Bowl with the Falcons. Playoffs twice with... You know, obviously the New York Giants. Dick Vermeil, able to go ahead and win a Super Bowl with the Rams, go to a Super Bowl with the Eagles, have success with the Chiefs. I just don't think people appreciate, Dave, how hard it is to get a totally unique group of men together and to build sustained success from that. I mean, when Andy Reid took over the Eagles, it was the the low point of – 
the 20 years I was a fan of the Eagles. It was 1999 or 1998. They were three and 13. Three and 13. You know what Andy Reid did? Five straight years of at least 11 wins and at least one playoff victory. Are you kidding me? Five conference championships in all, including four straight. Then he goes to Kansas City. They were 2-14. and 14. You know what they've done since he got there? Seven straight winning seasons. Playoffs in all of them but one. Back-to-back conference championship games. And he's in the Super Bowl again. That, to me, is Hall of Fame coaching. And you made the case for no. Thank you for mentioning. And by the way, my answer is yes, he needs a Super Bowl win to get in the Hall of Fame without question. And you made the case. You made my point for me, and it's one name. And one name I can't get past to put Andy Reid in, Dan freaking Reeves. Four Super Bowls. He went to the Super Bowl, as you just mentioned, with two different teams Dan Reeves not in the Hall of Fame. There are numerous, numerous coaches that will never get in the Hall of Fame that have a Super Bowl ring. That's what separates good coaches from great coaches. There are even coaches in the Hall of Fame with a Super Bowl ring who will forever be debated, are they really Hall of Fame worthy? 100%, absolutely, Andy Reid has to win a Super Bowl to be considered a Hall of Fame head coach, that's what makes you truly great in this game. That's just the way it is. He belongs on the ring of honor at two different organizations, no question about it. But does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame if he takes this collection of talent, this collection of track stars, superstars, and the greatest quarterback in the game today and now an outstanding defense and does not win a Super Bowl? That tells me he's not a Hall of Famer. The last time he was there, 15 years ago, what did Andy Reid do? Clock management down the stretch was poor, and you can't possibly say ahead of this game. If Andy Reid goes out there and late in this game shits his pants, bad clock management, bad decisions down the stretch, and you're going to tell me he's a Hall of Famer? That is ludicrous. If twice we've seen one of the great coaches of all time, in your words, if we see that guy crumble under the spotlight of the Super Bowl twice, that's proof that he's not a Hall of Famer. He has to win this game or he has to win a Super Bowl next year or the year after. He has to get it done with this amazing collection of superstar talent. No question about it. 100% Ross. I don't understand. Tell me if this game ends the the way it did with Philly and New England. You're going to sit here and say Andy Reid's a Hall of Famer. Hold on a second. Dave, you're you're already finishing this game. Yes. Hall of Famer. Yes. Yes. If if he has poor clock management down the stretch, the same way he did with Philly against New England, he's a Hall of Famer who doesn't know how to win the biggest game. Yes. He's already a Hall of Famer in my mind. He's already a Hall of Famer in my mind. But I think Dan Reeves is too. I think Dan Reeves is a Hall of Famer too. But he's not. Like so. Okay. The the standard we have, Dan Reeves is not a Hall of Famer. What are you more impressed by? Are you more impressed by what Andy Reid has done in Philadelphia and in Kansas City or the fact that when Bill Cowher was coach of the Steelers that one year 
with Heinz Ward, they beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Hey, listen, I don't think Bill Cowher's a Hall of Famer. I don't okay. like the centennial okay, class. Good. I'm with you on that. But but the problem is, here's the standard. Here's the hall. Dan Reeves ain't getting in. Dan Reeves is not a Hall of Famer, and he's not getting in. He went to four Super Bowls with two different teams. So by that standard, you said it yourself. By that standard, Andy Reeves not a Hall of Famer. Period. All right, so there's a difference. You are saying he won't get in. I am saying I think he should. You are looking at what the Hall of Fame has or has not done, and you are stating, and probably correctly, that if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, they won't vote him in. I am saying if I had a vote, I would vote him in because Mm. I am more impressed by what Andy Reid and Dick Vermeil and Dan Reeves have done than I am by what Bill Cowher and, frankly, even Jimmy Johnson did. I am making the case that having success multiple places is more impressive than just happening to win that big game that one time like Bill Cowher did. I mean, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it doesn't take away his greatness to me at all. Not at all. And by the way, his coach was arguably the greatest coach ever, Don Shula, and they lost that Super Bowl. Don Shula was the head coach, and they lost it. But that doesn't take anything away from me for Dan Marino. Guys like Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers have only even been to one Super Bowl. Right, but to to compare it to Dan Marino, look, Dan Marino is one of the all-time greats at the position. When the end of the game, you know, in 10 years, and when we're at 150 years of the NFL, you're not going to sit back and say, Andy Reid is one of the all-time greats of coaching, unless, of course, he wins two, three Super Bowls with his Chiefs team, which, quite frankly, I think is possible. And to be clear, what I'm saying is I would not vote for Andy Reid to go to the Hall of Fame right now. No, I, I give him no chance of getting my vote unless he wins a Super Bowl. I want to see him manage the biggest game in the spotlight, down the stretch, and with this collection of talent. Let's listen in on a couple of Hall of Famers. What do they say about all this? Rod Woodson and Jerome Bettis. Does Andy Reid need the Super Bowl win to get in the Hall? If Andy Reid doesn't win a Super Bowl, does he get into the Hall of Fame? Oh, there's that pause. Point. There's that pause. Yeah. yeah. And if you pause, it's yeah. probably a no, know, right? Probably I know. A no. Yeah. I, you know, if anybody deserves the getting a ring, doing what's right, putting good teams together, for, for some odd reason, it just didn't accumulate to that <sighs> getting that, that Lombardi trophy. Yep. Andy Reid needs that. I think he deserves. First of all, he deserves it because he's he's dedicated his life to it. He's putting some really good teams together, and just for some odd reason, that team has never put it all together at the right moment. Um, this is the right moment for him. He has a really good team. You know, if you're if you're a head coach, your job is to win the championship, right? Right. And in in winning the championship, if you can mold and and and, and develop young men. Uh, to be, you know, role models in the community, all those type of things. I mean, that's all. Uh, that's a, a bonus. Obviously, you would love your your head coach to to help in the development of these young men. 
But uh, ultimately, he's paid to win uh, football games, right? So if he doesn't win a championship, you, you have to, to kind of knock him for that, especially when you're we going up uh, with the greatest coaches of all time. Boom. The bus, well said. Jerome Bettis and I agree, has to win a Super Bowl to get in the hall, Ross. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I'm looking at the poll results right now, and at RDC Home and Home, there's over 3,000 votes at this point. Yes is 38.2%. The question was, does Andy Reid need to win a Super Bowl to be a Hall of Fame coach? No is 61.8%. So I, I agree with our great listeners, Dave. I agree with the people that follow us on social media at RDC Home and Home, at Ross Tucker NFL, at Dave Briggs TV. The people have voted. The people have spoken. And as is the case in the democracy of this great country that we live in, Dave, the people are always right. You skew. <laughs> no, they're not. We know that. We know Twitter is generally speaking wrong. You also skew towards your state of Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia. I think it, it, this thing is skewed, and it's not going to help me to bring in our good friend Alex Gold from Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. He's probably going to argue against me and well. He is the co-host of Cody and Gold, and most notably, he loves craft beer and barbecue, and we're talking about both of those in just a minute. But Alex, first, good to have you on the program down there in Miami. Does Andy Reid need to win a Super Bowl to get in the Hall of Fame? I say absolutely yes. Yeah, I don't think he needs it. I think you look at his track record in the National Football League, you look at what he's been able to do uh, if with his postseason amount of games played despite the lack of success in the NFC Championship game, but still a track record that he's been able to have. I don't know how you how you look at what he's been able to accomplish over his time in Philly, what he's done for Kansas City, four straight AFC West titles. This is a, a franchise that hadn't had back-to-back -back AFC West titles before. He's done it four straight years. He's in back-to-back -back AFC title games here. And I, I think he's already there, but there's no doubt the perception is that he can't win the big game. And so he becomes an automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, I believe, if he's able to get a win against the 49ers on Sunday. Uh, yeah, Alex, uh, you're totally right. I mean, if he wins it, he's definitely getting in. If he doesn't win it, I still think, A, he'll eventually win a Super Bowl with Mahomes, or B, if he doesn't, I still think he'll go to enough conference championship games, have enough success, go to enough Super Bowls that he'll be a Hall of Famer. My question is, knowing you're going to do this interview, how much time did you put in to making sure you found a spot where there was a palm tree perfectly behind your head? <laughs> so if you only knew what I went through. So I even got some help. The chair that I that this laptop is on, I don't know if, you, if you've been around Radio Row, they've got some nice leather chairs. This thing is pretty heavy that this is on here. Uh, and so it took about 25 minutes or so. I even went outside. I said, is outside going to work better? So way too much time to get this uh, done for you guys. Wow. Well, we really appreciate the effort, Alex Gold. Tell me what is the scene down there in South Beach? What is Miami like as a Super Bowl city? It's hosted more than any other. I have not actually been to a Miami Super Bowl, and I would assume our listeners have not either. 
This is the first go around for me for a Radio Row period, to be quite honest with you. So I, I don't have much to compare it to, but it has been fantastic here to see all the different fan bases. We had a chance even yesterday uh, to go down to the fan experience here, which is fantastic. We're, we're doing some video stuff, kicking field goals, uh, obstacle course. Of course, you got the Vince Lombardi trophy and, and you definitely feel the energy. I, I think yesterday and certainly into today, there's a lot more energy even around the Radio Row with the, the celebrities that are around here. You're starting to see some more fans come down. I, I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans, even over the last Last week or so we were discussing that aren't going to be able to afford a ticket to the big game, but they want to just be in Miami to feel this energy, to say they were in the city where the Chiefs were taking on the Niners for the Super Bowl. It's, it's been 50 years, guys. It's been a long time. A lot of people never thought this would happen. People have unbelievable stories about what this means to their family and family members that may no longer be with them, even how much this means to them. So people want to be part of it if they're able to make the trip down to Miami, even just to be at some of the watch parties that are going to be going on throughout the weekend. So I, that's what I wanted to ask you about uh, is how many Chiefs fans you think are coming down. I was there Monday and Tuesday. There weren't that many fans yet at opening night. I say it was about 50-50 between the Niners and Chiefs fans, although to be honest with you, their colors are so similar, <laughs> I can't really tell unless I get up close to them. It's really frustrating. But how much of Kansas City do you think is coming down there? It's funny, if you ask anybody, everybody's coming, right? It's, it's, it's one of those things you, you go around and, and everybody on social media are calling in saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to be down in Miami. There, there's no way <laughs> that as many people have told us they're going to Miami are going to be here. So I, it's a good question as far as how, how many people truly are going to do it. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, multiple airlines added additional flights for this upcoming weekend, uh, for this week period, thinking that there was going to be more uh, attention and need for it. They've been selling out flights. So people are definitely coming down here. I'll be curious to see what the split is going to be for those just around the city. I think we'll get a better judge of it even uh, tonight and into the weekend. If you're down on just on South Beach, we were down there a little bit last night, and it was still more just a mixture of fans in general, more than it was specifically 49ers and, and Chiefs fans. As you guys know, at events like this, people just want to be uh, a part of it. It's a bucket list item for people just to be a part of Super Bowl week. Pains me to admit that Kansas City fan base is as good as any in football. Being a Denver fan, they will be the louder of the fan bases and the more present there on Sunday. I'm confident of that. You spoke with Lee Steinberg yesterday, and we're talking to Alex Gold, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Steinberg, of course, the agent of Patrick Mahomes. Did you get any sense of how imminent a new contract is? What do we expect that thing to be? Are we talking $40 million a year? Did you get a feeling like it's coming this year, or might they wait a year? Yeah, I think a lot of it's posturing right now on both sides. You even had Clark Hunt telling uh, Adam Teicher, who covers the Chiefs, uh, he's on the Chiefs beat, saying that yeah, we'd like to get something done in, in 12 to 15 months. We had Lee Steinberg, as you mentioned, on, on our show yesterday, and he said, well, Patrick's got a contract right now, and we're not worried about anything like that. But I, I would be really surprised. Uh, I think it's more just each side saying, okay, let's wait till after the Super Bowl. Let's see where we're at. I mean, he is going to get, whether it's $40 million on average, that's been some of the reported numbers, I think, if you're Lee Steinberg and, and Patrick Mahomes, do you wait to see uh, what Deshaun Watson gets, for example? Because as we know, this kind of this kind of game that works out, you know, if the, Deshaun Watson, let's say, gets 38 and a half, if, if Mahomes is getting 40, I would be very surprised at that point in time. I would think it would have to be more than that. But both sides just kind of playing it close to the vest right now. But I think by the time we get to week one, if not training camp, Mahomes will have a, a new contract. There's Dak Prescott that factors into this as well, just to see where the where the market's going to be kind of set. And we know Mahomes eventually will be the, the highest paid player in the league. 
Without question, I, I got to tell you, I'd be ruthless if I were him. If I'm out there playing with a dislocated kneecap, right about now, you know, you're able to sign like a, a third-year player after their last regular season game. If he was really a gangster, he'd say he's not playing in the Super Bowl until he gets his $100 million fully guaranteed, $40 million a year. That would be amazing. I would give him major, major props for that. He's not going to do it. But there's no way he should play next year without getting a contract. You know, I want to ask you something, Alex. I was at opening night, okay? And I thought it was interesting that there were a couple of, of the, you know, podiums next to each other. Frank Clark, Tyreek Hill. And I've seen people, if they're critical of the Chiefs, one of the reasons they say is because they feel like the Chiefs on some level have compromised the Midwest values by having guys like that on their team. Is there any reservation at all by anybody in Kansas City about some of the guys on the team or, hey, we're winning, we're good, we're giving those guys a second chance in life, blah, blah, blah? I would say the majority of it is what you said at the at the end there, which is people believing in, in second chances and also with what had occurred in, in Kansas City with the Tyreek Hill situation, just in terms of some of the media coverage, there was a ton of backlash, maybe even some misreporting uh, out there in regards to Tyreek Hill and, and some of the audio that was released uh, this past spring, I guess it would have been right around the draft. And so the majority opinion in Kansas City is that uh, unlike nationally, Tyreek Hill essentially – a lot of people felt like the audio cleared him, which is certainly not not what it did whatsoever. I think there's there's plenty of reasons still to be very concerned uh, about it. But that is more of a national issue, right or wrong. Here in Kansas City, I would say most people have kind of, as bad as it is to say, moved on from it. And yes, when you're winning it, <laughs> unfortunately, it does mask some of that. And, and people are willing to, uh, to go ahead and, and take some of that. I agree with you, though. I thought this would have been a much bigger story nationally this week about Tyreek Hill in his past, about Frank Clark in his past. And I really haven't seen it at much attention. I don't know if some of that comes tonight, guys, honestly, or even tomorrow, because the Chiefs have their final media availability today, and then you really don't have to, to deal with any of that anymore. So I wonder if it's something that we get uh, as far as columns out today or tomorrow that have more attention to it. Yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't feel like anyone's going to make an issue of that story. Interesting, the choices they made. Kareem Hunt now in Cleveland. We saw him just get in trouble again the other day. Talking to Alex Gold, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. How does that Chiefs defense stop the 49ers' relentless ground game? Yeah, that's the number one question everybody has uh, with the, Kyle Shanahan and that zone rushing attack that they have. And it's interesting because a name that people maybe don't recognize a whole lot across the country is Mike Pinnell. This is a guy that Kansas City uh, added to the team. I think it was like week eight, week nine of the season. And if you look at when he's been on the field, what they've been able to do against some of these rushing attacks, the two examples are Tennessee and Houston. They've played those teams twice. You saw the first matchup, Derrick Henry run all over Kansas City, what, 188 yards or so. The Texans and Carlos Hyde ran all over Kansas City in the first go around. And then the postseason, they shut down both teams' rushing attack. Pinnell did not play in either of those two previous games. In fact, Kansas City uh, has 50 yards less rushing allowed 
around there with Pinnell and the team. And so he's kind of been, I would say, if you're asking you know, even for an X factor, a little bit on defense besides the obvious guys, Chris Jones and Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew, Pinnell has been a huge part of their rushing defense. And so I, I think he's a big part of this game plan for Kansas City. Now, he hasn't faced a, a rushing offense like this in terms of the scheme. We, we even had Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, on the show yesterday just talking about how difficult, how challenging this is going to be for, for Kansas City. So I think it starts there and make Jimmy Garoppolo beat you. How much trust does San Francisco have in their quarterback? I mean, he, he threw the ball eight times last go-around against the Packers. They clearly weren't able to shut down Raheem Mostert. So uh, I'm curious if they're able to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball 25 or more times in this game. I, I think that becomes a major challenge for San Francisco and puts Kansas City in a pretty good spot. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Two things I need on Super Bowl Sunday. One, buffalo chicken dip. And two, is you gotta have some action on this game. If you don't have some action on the Super Bowl, well, you automatically lose the Super Bowl. So let's talk bets with our good friend Eli Hershkovitz from You Better, You Bet. He's on the phone with us to talk about some excellent prop bets ahead of Super Bowl Sunday. Eli, always great to have you, my friend. Let's get into it. Give us a prop bet. Yeah, so uh, looking at the odds right now, they've kind of shifted a little bit since they opened a couple weeks ago, but... Uh, one of my favorite prop bets is George Kittle over in the receiving yards at 72 and a half. Again, if you think about how the Chiefs are going to try to blanket uh, Kittle and the rest of these 49er skill position players, I would assume they're going to try to put uh, Tyrell Matthew on Kittle when Kittle lines up in the slot. But if Shanahan's able to put Samuel in the slot as well, then you probably get Kittle matched up on a linebacker at times, which obviously is a matchup he can win. So that's one of my favorite prop bets uh, in in the Super Bowl. And then kind of correlating that with Garoppolo over passing yards. Again, this is a a quarterback that a lot of people are looking back to the Packers game and the Vikings game, two games that Garoppolo didn't perform well. Really, Kittle hasn't had a good NFL postseason either. But uh, again, you have to have short memory as a better and I would expect this game to be a high-scoring game. I like the total to go over, too. I think Garoppolo has a good performance. And again, you, you can't just think about the past two games in the playoffs. You have to look ahead. And if, if you have to look at the whole body of work, too. Garoppolo's had a good season. And uh, overall, I would expect him to, uh, to be able to take advantage of a Chiefs secondary that overall this season, again, look at the whole body of work. One of the better safeties is out in this game. And uh, I like the uh, I like the 49ers passing game in the Super Bowl. 
I'm kind of with you, Eli. I like that. I think Spagnolo is going to sell out to stop the run, doesn't want to just let him run over him, make Jimmy G beat him. I think Jimmy G, quite frankly, has a great chance to be the MVP of the game and to put up pretty big numbers because I think the Chiefs are going to be all in to stop the run. And your boy Kittle, I think, has a great chance to have a big day. Uh, what else you got for us? Yeah, so uh, again, you mentioned Kittle, and uh, and uh, obviously a, a prop that I like the receiving yards. But if you look at MVP odds, and you think about the 49ers running back Raheem Mostert, who obviously had a big game against the Packers, and that's uh, again betters go back to the last game. That's the way we think because it's obviously you know the last game we've seen the 49ers play two weeks ago in the NFC title game. His MVP odds uh, opened at 12 to one. Now they're at plus 850. They were as high as plus 750 at some books. That's one that I'm looking to fade uh, in the Super Bowl. And, and probably a player that I'm looking to fade, too, is most are uh, over rushing yards. I'll probably take the under at uh, under 77 and a half. You think about the Chiefs' defense, uh, rushing defense, and how well they played against Henry in the AFC title game. Assuming Chris Jones is able to play more snaps in this one, too, that kind of uh, allows me to, to like the the under in, in most rushing yards even more, even if Tevin Coleman is limited or doesn't play in this game. But uh, the MVP bet that I do like to go along with the, the George Kittle over on receiving yards is Kittle 18-1 to to win MVP. You go back to last season and the, the last Super Bowl Rams at Patriots, Julian Edelman was 20-1 to to win that award. I like to find value when I'm looking at the MVP odds. Von Miller was in the 50 to one range, 40 to one range when the when the Broncos beat the Panthers. I know that's a defensive player, but Joey Bosa at 30 to one kind of strikes me as a as a potential MVP bet as well. So I'm all in on San Francisco, and those are two value MVP bets that I'm looking at. Interesting. I, I am a, I am riding Kansas City right now. Like them to cover, so I guess I'm I'm nervous about those ones in particular. That under 77 yards rushing for uh, Mostert. All right, you have a non-football related prop bet, and those are a lot of fun. What do you got for us? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Jennifer Lopez over two and a half wardrobe changes. Not a not a big Jennifer Lopez fan overall, but I would expect she's again she has her uh, you know top top hits on the floor is maybe one of the only ones that I could name at the moment. But I would expect her to again try to change things up a little bit as the performance goes along. That's usually what you get uh, with some of these halftime shows too. So uh, yeah, I like uh, I like the over on the two and a half wardrobe changes. If I'm looking at the Gatorade color. Uh, red opened at eight to one, and you obviously have two red teams with the 49ers and the Chiefs. So Gatorade color obviously being uh, whichever team wins the Super Bowl, uh, and the Gatorade gets dumped on the the winning head coach. Red is is around four to one, three to one right now. So kind of an appealing prop bet too. Um, and 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 uh, the lime and green is around three to one as well. So those are two colors that I'm looking at. The last time the Chiefs won anything monumental, they dumped yellow Gatorade on Andy Reid. So that's why that that uh, color has been bet down. I would lean towards red because at least it gives yourself the option of whichever team wins the Super Bowl. But uh, those are going to be my probably two 
bigger prop bets is Red Gatorade and Jennifer Lopez over uh, two and a half wardrobe changes. Definitely see, didn't see that one coming uh, when these prop bets came out a couple weeks ago, but here we are. So, Eli, first of all, dude, uh, do a little research, okay, and get a little bit more cultured. How about <laughs> be fooled by the rocks that I got? I'm just, I'm still Jenny from the block. First I had a little, now I got a lot. Most of all, I know where I came from. That song's awesome. <laughs> uh, if you had my love and I didn't, would you didn't? That song's awesome. And my love don't cost a thing. So to say that on the floor is the only good song negated all of your profits, all of your everything else you said, because J-Lo has a lot of good songs. On the Floor is probably fourth out of the ones I like. And yes, I have seen J-Lo twice in concert. Boom. Uh, Holy crap. I digress, okay? (laughs) I digress. Who is Hall of Fame worthy in this class? It is as difficult as I can recall, in particular at the wide receiver and the safety position. It is splitting hairs between some of the all-time greats. Let's talk about it with the Hall of Fame voter, Howard Balzer. Howard, great to have you on the program. Really tough to split hairs between Lynch and Atwater, almost identical resumes. Let's talk about the wide receivers quickly because there's three guys, again, that I believe is kind of splitting hairs that have almost identical statistics where do you lean in terms of isaac bruce reggie wayne tory holt feels like it might be bruce's turn well i I feel it should be and i have to admit um you know i'm a little biased because i'm from st louis and i will present the cases for both isaac bruce and tory holt and i was a little surprised i thought holt wouldn't make the finals until isaac bruce had been inducted but he's in there this year with reggie wayne a first time eligible who's also very deserving but i think when it push comes to shove when you look at those three guys like you said when it's close and the guys have but you know bruce it's it's somewhat close but this was a guy who had the second most receiving yards in history when he retired and he's still fifth with over fifteen thousand yards and there's only four or five wide receivers in history that have totaled 15,000 receiving yards. And so I think when, guy, when the committee looks at it and says, okay, we're going to put in a receiver, it should be the guy that's been the finalist the most time. So, so I lean towards Isaac Bruce. I think the other guys will get in in time. But I think one receiver will because we all know a, lo- a, a bigger logjam is coming. I mean, Heinz Ward has been a semifinalist several years, hasn't been a finalist yet. Next year, Calvin Johnson comes in as a first-time guy. The year after, Steve Smith and Andre Johnson. So there's a lot of receivers coming down the pipe, and you don't want to get to that point where you cr- you've created this persistent logjam again like we had with Chris Carter and Tim Brown and Andre Reed for a number of years. Howard, i, I got to ask you about the position everybody cares the most about. Obviously, offensive line, we know that. Um, do you have a pecking order in your mind for Baselli, Fanica, and Hutchinson? It's really tough between those guys. I, I think Baselli is probably the best player of the group, and if he had played longer and had more years, he would have been in five years ago uh, because he was, he was not a finalist for a number of years, mainly because of the short career. F- finally, Terrell Davis getting in helped him. 
and in terms of the short career. So I think he's the best player. Does he get in? I, I think Hutchinson certainly is right there with Vasselli in terms of being a guard and one of the best that there ever was. Fanica has waited the longest. I mean, he's a, in terms of being a finalist, at least. He's, this is fifth year as a finalist. Vasselli is his fourth, and Hutchinson, I believe, this is his, is his third. And so it's, it's always tough to split them, and it, it definitely is. And votes get split sometimes in that room, and that affects other guys. Or if, if guys vote for multiple offensive linemen in the reduction to 10, then that, help, that hurts other guys who might have been in the 10, if not for all those linemen. So I think it's tough to separate them all. Like I said with the receivers, sometimes it goes to the guy who's been the finalist the most times. But, heck, you can make a very, very strong case for all three of them. And I think they'll all be in eventually. Last one, Howard. Can you do me a favor? Can you tell all the guys in that room that I said Richard Seymour is the best defensive lineman I ever played against, and I played against a lot with all the teams I played for. I just feel like he doesn't have the numbers because of the Patriots scheme. But trust me when I tell you, you put him in any scheme, he could have been awesome. He could have done what Sapp did, in my opinion, in Tampa in that scheme. How much do the voters really understand that? No, I think they do, and I think it all comes out in the discussions, and that's what's so great about the discussions, and you get other people like yourself and whoever talking about a player like Richard Seymour. I think another guy you can kind of put in his group and is, is, is um, uh, Bryant. Also, I'm blanking on his uh, – <laughs> I can't believe I'm blanking on his first name from the, from the 49ers. And he, this is his first year as a finalist, and he's been eligible uh, for, you know, for a long time. And he's in that group. He's like that because he, he defensive tackles most of the time don't get numbers. So I think we all understand that. But I think one thing we have to realize, too, guys, is this. I think sometimes everyone doesn't realize just how hard it is to be a finalist, just to be a finalist. So there's the respect for those guys and, and Richard Seymour because he is a finalist. And so – that's, you know, that's a big key, but I think it's lost in it, in it sometimes because, like I said, it's hard to be a finalist. But, yeah, I think we all understand it. It comes down when everybody votes. And like, you said, like we've been talking about, there's kind of a pecking order. So I'm sure that he will continue to be, if he doesn't get in this year, he'll continue to be in, this, in the discussion. And one of these years, he's going, to get, he's, go, he's going to be in. I know it's hard for these guys to wait. But as we know, every year there's 10 disappointed people when – the voting gets announced. Let's go to the home of the Buffalo Bills, though, and bring in the greatest special teams player in the history of this game. Steve Tasker went to four straight Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills and joins us on the program. Steve, great to have you. I've always wanted to ask you what it was like to chase down Leon Lett and strip strip that ball. I joke about this because it blows my mind. People apparently confuse you with Don Beebe. What is your reaction when that happens, and does it happen often? I got a lot of respect for that play, and uh, it was a time when we were getting our heads caved in in Super Bowl 27 in Pasadena, and uh, I I will say this. I was on the field, and I was chasing Leon Lett, too, but I was way too far behind to catch him. Uh, Don Beebe made the play that you're talking about, and I told somebody, somebody congratulated me this uh, again on this week on Twitter, 
And I promised Beebs that I would never take credit for it because I got a lot of respect for that play. It was a, it was an iconic play in NFL history. And but it is true. Every couple of months and sometimes more often than that, I get congratulated on running Leon let down in Super Bowl 27 at the end of that game. It never happened. It wasn't me. It was Don Beebe who did it. And I promised Beebs at the time. I said, I promise I'll never take credit for it. So for the last 30 years or however long it's been, the 27, 28 years, I have had to correct people who congratulate me for being the guy that ran Leon let down. And it wasn't me. But uh, it's crazy. It happens to this day. Uh, it happened this week. As you remember on, on, tw- on my Twitter feed, it happened. So uh, it was it happens all the time. And I always say and I, every time I see Don, I remind him that I should never have made that promise because it continues to happen to this day that I get congratulated for running down Leon Lett in one of the most iconic plays ever. Uh, but, folks, it wasn't me. <laughs> Steve, you are a much better person than I am. I'd be doing speaking gigs. I'd be doing everything. I'd be signing autographs. Guy that chased down Leon Lett. I'd be doing inspirational speeches for ten grand. That's why you, too, should never give up. I would be all over that shit, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, I, it happens. It has happened on a regular basis for pushing 30 years. Uh, I mean, you know, Don and I are the same size. We're two small white guys who played in the NFL. And everybody thinks, well, there's no it has to be that guy. Right. Because there's not that many guys like us in the NFL. And they just take it for granted that I'm the guy. Uh, and I'm not. So whatever. It's cool. I mean, I agree. And. And Beebs, and it is an inspirational play. Make no mistake about it. There's a lot of people who've got a lot of good stuff out of that play and a lot of inspiration from it about never giving up and playing every game you're in, no matter what, to the end. And because of that, it gets a lot of mileage. And Beebs has gotten a lot of attention about it as well. Uh, but unfortunately, so have I for all the wrong reasons. Dude, I, I didn't realize that Don Beebe was the original Beebs, not Justin Bieber. I love that. That's amazing. Boy. Don Beebe's the original Beebs, not Justin Bieber. Steve, I, it's a perfect week to talk with you because Super Bowl, you have experience in four as well as the Hall of Fame. You know, we just had Howard Balzer on, who is a, a Hall of Fame voter. Just got to ask you, at, at this point, Steve, have have you given up, or do you think maybe down the line, as a seniors candidate, you still have a chance? Seems kind of silly to me that a kicker or punter would get in and not you, as pretty much universally recognized as the best special teamer ever. Well, I appreciate the conversation, obviously, and I, I mean, you know, what player does not want to be in the Hall of Fame? I mean, of course, but I it. Yeah, I mean, I never really thought it was going to be in the cards for me. I thought it was just, there's just, it's too crowded of a field every year uh, for them to throw a bone to somebody who wasn't a regular down and distance player. Um, it's, you know, whenever I see the list of guys to go on, and even this year in the, in the 100th anniversary where they had, the, you know, the 20 guys that got in for the 100th anniversary and plus the, the modern day player list, uh, the finalists, and I, and I was a semi-finalist for that this year. It's a really, really prestigious list, and it's it's an awesome honor to be included on that list at times. But when you get down to it, is you know the problem is you have to take somebody off the list to put a guy like me on, and and I have a hard time putting myself above the names 
that are on that list. I mean, certainly I'm honored to be included in that list. It's a short list of semifinalists, but when you cut it down to even 15, and even the tw- list of 20 names that are uh, that are the hundred year old timers list or whatever you call them, you know, the, the list that they put together as contributors and coaches and former players, old time players, you know, to be included on that list in any way, shape or form is a huge honor. Um, but I understand it's, it's a hard thing to put a guy, put any of these guys on because you have to take somebody else off of that list. And so I, I get it. It's a hard list to make. It should be a hard list to make. It should be a difficult decision to make for the voters. There should be some consternation over who you get on and who that is left off. So I, I have no issues with the way it's handled. Uh, I'm honored to be a part of the conversation. If it never happens for me, it's it. You know, I get it. Uh, if it does, I'll be overwhelmed because it is uh, an enormous honor. It's it's the it would be the culmination. Like for me, for me, like so many other guys before me. Um, wow, what a gift it would be. But I understand why it's difficult to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I've played with a number of those guys. I played against a number of those guys, particularly all the modern day candidates. Uh, it's, and I covered those guys for 21 years with CBS. A lot of them. So I understand why it's such a prestigious honor. I understand why it's so difficult to get in, and I understand why uh, I have not been included in in the list of finalists uh and i have not been included in on the list of guys who actually get in it's hard uh it's a huge honor and there are a lot of guys who have done a lot of tremendous things on the football field in the time that i played and in the time since i played so uh yeah i i appreciate the conversation but and and it would be great to get into that to that list or onto that list of hall pro football hall of famers but uh, it's not for everybody it's hard to get in, and it's there's in a single, and the, one of the reasons is there isn't a single solitary guy who has been inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that I would say does not deserve to be there. So, if I get in, awesome. If I don't, I understand the reasons why, um, and I have no qualms with the guys that are in and have been in and have been put in ahead of me or will be put in after I'm ineligible. So, uh, it's awesome to be a part of that conversation, but. Uh, until something changes, I'm okay. I, mean, I love my career, man. I love the guys I played with. I love the the league. The league has been really good to me. I got a lot of respect for the guys who voted in that they are going to do the right thing by whoever gets in. I'm I'm okay with the way it is. I'm okay with the process by which it happens, and I'm I'm just honored to be to have been a part yeah. of the league for 13 years. Steve Tasker with us, uh, reporter for NFL on CBS and co-host of One Bills Live on WGR Sports Talk Radio. Steve, quickly, um, I want to get your Super Bowl prediction. And also, you mentioned your Bills experience, those four Super Bowls. What was it like at the time, having lost the four straight? And has it changed over the years the way you appreciate it? Yeah, no question. At the time, when you lose that fourth Super Bowl, and, and you, you know we lost the second game to Dallas, uh, which was our fourth Super Bowl in a row, um, it, it, you get to the point where you're kind of the punchline of the joke, right? There, uh, what does what does Bill stand for? It's B I L L S. What's it stand for? Well, it stands for Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. And there's a whole list of punchlines that came about because we could not win that game. And then over the course of time, and and it gets further into the distance, and you see really great teams. 
uh, the Seattle Seahawks going to two straight with the Legion of Boom, um, the New England Patriots going to, and then this last year, you know, they couldn't get back to their fourth straight Super Bowl. Um, you see other teams that look like they're going to be unbeatable. The the Denver Broncos with John Elway, Peyton Manning with the Den- with the uh, Denver Broncos. Uh, all these teams that look like they're lined up to maybe put a string of Super Bowls together, and they can't get back to their third straight Super Bowl. They can't get back to their yep. fourth straight Super Bowl. They can't get back to their second straight Super Bowl. It started to raise the level of appreciation for a team that was resilient enough to be there four straight years in a row, whether they won or lost, to win that conference championship game four straight years is starting to get a little bit more iconic and a little bit more appreciated for the feat that it was in and of itself. Uh, Whether you win the Super Bowl or not, uh, being there four straight years is becoming a little bit of a holy grail for for some fan bases, and certainly it's something that the Bills Mafia and the Bills fan base holds up as a point of pride. And um, it was a special group of guys. It was special coaching staff that made some changes even within those four years. Uh, it was a special fan base, uh, and it was something that uh, maybe it'll never be duplicated. It probably will at some point, but man, oh, man, it takes a special group yeah. to do it, and it takes a lot, a confluence of a lot of factors to get a team together that can do it. I don't think it happens again. Real quickly, your prediction for Super Bowl Sunday in 20 seconds. Who wins and why? Uh, I think this is going to be a really good Super Bowl. I would give the edge to 40, the 49ers for one reason, now, only because they're the more complete team. Uh, they can run the football, they, and theoretically they can throw the football really well. They've got a great front seven who can get pressure right away with four guys. Uh, now the Chiefs have put it together defensively uh, where they, can, you know, they, they had a good championship game, good run against the Tennessee Titans with a great running game. Uh, but I don't think the Chiefs can run the football effectively uh, in this game. I think you need a complete team to win a Super Bowl, especially a closely contested Super Bowl like this one looks like it's going to be. If you're a complete team, if you're really good in all four phases, the run and pass on both sides of the ball, in coverage and pass rush, on you know, uh, and in running it and throwing it on both sides of the ball, I think the 49ers look more like that team to me. Uh I would go with them. Certainly the Chiefs are a phenomenally gifted offense. Their speed is second to none. They're a handful in the passing game. But if they don't hit it in their passing game, if the Niners make enough stops in the passing game, the Chiefs can't throw it. I mean, the Chiefs cannot run it. They don't have a running game that is as stout as the Niners. I mean, I don't think the Chiefs can beat you two ways. I don't think they can beat you more ways than the one. So if they... If the Niners can take it away, I think the Chiefs are, are dead in the water. I don't know if the Niners can, but the more complete team to me in this game is the 49ers. And for that and what I've seen in years past and things that happen and two weeks of preparation and all the variables that go into this, I always kind of side with the most complete team in these situations. And to me, that's the 49ers. Hey, everybody. It's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember... You can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.